You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. The Centers for Disease Control have suggested that expedited partner therapy for those with certain conditions, such as sexually transmitted diseases, is recommended. However, the act of providing medications or prescriptions without an exam or established relationship raises legal questions for physicians. What is the current legal situation for physicians providing expedited partner therapy? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and joining me from Baltimore, Maryland, is Attorney James Hodge. And joining us from Seattle, Washington, is Dr. Matthew Golden. Mr. Hodge is with the Center for Law and the Public's Health, Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. And Dr. Golden is an Associate Professor of Medicine at University of Washington School of Medicine. He is also Director of the STD Control Program for Public Health in Seattle and King Counties in Washington. Welcome, James Hodge and Dr. Matthew Golden. Thank you. Thank you. James Hodge, you recently had an article published in the Journal of Public Health describing the legal concerns of expedited partner therapy. You looked at three areas of relevance when examining legal status in each state. Tell us what the areas of relevance were. That's a great question as far as how to really assess whether expedited partner therapies is going to be legally viable in some jurisdictions. There really are three major issues, and the first relates to whether or not EPT is consistent with existing medical standards or policy for the provision of care. And under these circumstances, you really have to ask, is there something about EPT which involves the deliverance of a prescription medication to a person who has not been clinically evaluated as to the what extent and to whether or not that would be consistent with medical practice? EPT raises the specter that it is not consistent with medical practice and as a result could not be done without violating the principles of ethics or otherwise. The second big issue really concerns the sort of public health or safety side of the condition itself. There are public health justifications for various different mechanisms that we may allow that are somewhat inconsistent with standard day-to-day practice in medical care deliverance. And the extent to which EPT works as a very effective public health intervention may justify its use in certain situations, depending on how state law views that. And then there's a whole package of issues related to pharmaceutical practices. Under what circumstances, even if EPT is allowable through medical practice and consistent with good public health, could pharmacists and other professionals of that nature actually participate with EPT without violating drug labeling practices or other dispensing rules? Those are some of the major issues involved with this particular concern. How was the U.S. divided in terms of permission or preclusion of expedited partner therapy? Well, one of the things that we really tried to work very closely with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and a host of state partners on is to really try to get very close to understanding, is this practice of EPT, if nationally recommended, which it has been by CDC, is it legally viable in jurisdictions? You know, there's a perception, and actually Dr. Golden on the call here has done some excellent work to show that the perception of EPT is that it's not legally permissible, that doctors and others really don't perceive it as a legally viable or sound practice. We looked very closely at our centers for law and the public's health at the existing legal environment in every state and Puerto Rico and other jurisdictions like Washington, D.C. What we found in our study that was published in February 2008 was that you know, approximately 75% of the jurisdictions that we looked at, which was across the United States, either directly allow for EPT 
or could potentially allow for it based on a review of the legal provisions that we were seeing. This really kind of turned the perceptions on their head. In reality, EPT may be possible to do without violating legal norms in a lot of jurisdictions. Only about 15 jurisdictions or so actually prohibit it based on what we saw in their state laws. Dr. Golden, what is your assessment of how physicians feel about expedited partner therapy? I think there's probably a lot of confusion about what's legal. And I think, you know, that underlies that we as public health officials need to make it clearer to people. I think the other thing I'd point out that James was commenting on, this is really a moving target. So, you know, James published this paper in the last year, but since he's published that paper, it's become clear that this is legal in places like Texas and New York as well. So we're really moving very, very quickly to a point where it's becoming legal in more and more jurisdictions around the country. The article, and obviously you just stated that it's changed since the article was published, but when the article was published, it stated that only four states had laws expressly endorsing expedited partner therapy, and then some other states were mentioned that had proposed similar legislation, but the legislation didn't pass. Why would that happen? What stops this kind of legislation from passing? Well, this type of legislation is the type that may not get sufficient attention at any given state. So the process we go through to pass various different public health legislation consistent with, for example, authorizing EPT in an express sort of way may not get the sort of attention that a legislative body may find compelling for a particular cycle. It simply may just get pushed aside in a particular legislative venue. That's largely been what I've seen in, in a couple of the states that we found it was introduced and not fully passed. Just as Matthew was mentioning, though, in our study, a few months dated now, there was legislation introduced in New York. It was not passed, but now that legislation just recently has been passed in the recent cycle. I think what you're seeing in at least some jurisdictions is just a non-appreciation of the value of the particular legislation at a given time. What you're not seeing in too many jurisdictions is just real resistance or active objection to the idea of allowing for expedited partner therapies as good public health policy. I think Matthew's right. It's starting to take hold in the United States, and more states are actually expressly authorizing it. Fewer states are in any way, shape, or form trying to prohibit it. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guests are Dr. Matthew Golden of the University of Washington School of Medicine and Attorney James Hodge of Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, and we are discussing expedited partner therapy for STDs. Dr. Golden, did you have a comment to make? Well, I think part of what the opposition comes from is, you know, there's a little bit of the enemy of the good is the best. And this notion, well, why shouldn't the health departments just provide complete partner notification services for everybody? Right? I mean, why don't we just have people from the health departments contact everybody with a reportable sexually transmitted disease and have them go find these people's sex partners and get them treated? And I can understand where that comes from. The problem with it is that the CDC city control budget for the country is $107 million. And to just hire the staff to do what's being proposed, we'd estimate it would cost $200 million. So we would need twice as big a budget just for that one activity than the country has for the entire area of sexually transmitted disease control, at least within the federal budget. So it's really simply not possible to use, you know, this traditional syphilis-based approach to most aggressive partnerification like what's done in Sweden. 
wouldn't it be more cost effective and also more timely to try to pass some federal legislation that's similar to the kind of legislation that you have in Washington? I'll defer to James on that. I think this is something which is more regulated at a state level than a federal level, but James is more knowledgeable than I am about that. Yeah, Matthew, that's exactly right. You know, the federal government through CDC and through other public health agencies within the Department of Health and Human Services is well-equipped to address a lot of concerns in public health, but the true reality of public health legislation and regulation in the United States is this is state-based material. States are in control of how public health is practiced on a state-by-state basis, and as a result, you would not very likely see this type of issue ever arise in a federal piece of legislation, nor would CDC or others be well situated to actually implement it. What would help, I dare say, as Matthew has mentioned, if the Congress would provide more significant funding for STD control, that would certainly make a big difference. Until all of the states catch up, Dr. Golden, what would be your advice to physicians where expedited partner therapy is currently prohibited? What would be your advice to them in order to help them promote face-to-face treatment for the partners of those infected with sexually transmitted diseases? Well, I think that they need to follow up with their patients about whether or not their partners got treated. So a first step would be to say it isn't enough to simply say, so you need to get your partner treated. And then that's the end of the discussion. And maybe one way to integrate this with the patient's care is there is no group you can identify that has a higher risk of bacterial sexually transmitted disease than people who just had one. So bad things happen to people who have bad things happen to them in this world. And that's true of everything in medicine, whether it's heart attacks, cancer, or sexually transmitted diseases. So if we routinely follow up with our patients to make sure they get retested, say, 10 weeks out, 10 to 18 weeks out, Part of that routine follow-up can also be being certain that partners have been treated. Mr. Hodge, if a physician wants to know what the current status of legality of expedited partner therapy is in his or her state, where should they look for answers? Well, there's some very good information available on CDC's website that's actually based on the work we've done closely with CDC in the last couple of years. There's a very nice webpage entitled Legal Status of Expedited Partner Therapies on CDC's website. I think if you Google it, you'll find it right easily. But most importantly, one of the things you have to really be conscientious of, the type of information that you'll find there is not providing specific legal advice, rather it's providing the type of legal resources and research that we've done in an academic environment and the CDC's posted online to at least help your attorney or your hospital counselor or whoever you're working with really assess whether it's permitted or prohibited in your specific jurisdiction. Based on my review of what I've seen looking collectively at all the laws across the nation under the various themes, I do see opportunity for EPD to be accomplished and done in a lot of jurisdictions. Very few actually would directly prohibit it. Something that we haven't addressed so far is health insurance and the complications that might arise from expedited partner therapy as people try to make claims for medicine, for example. This is something actually that I addressed in the article in AJPH because it's one of those issues that really comes up. You know, the treatment for these specific STDs is not very expensive. It's really quite minimal, frankly. However, when you're talking about potentially thousands of cases that might filter through to a single insurance company, certainly larger ones out west or what have you, they could raise issues about who's actually going to pay for the dosage for the partner who is not actually the patient, and that means not actually the insured. Well, this issue, it really should not come up for a couple of reasons. First, It is to the patient's significant benefit to have the partner treated. 
In other words, the patient's health is directly tied to the partner's health. I think that's what Matthew was just suggesting, and that's exactly what you see with EPT. The second reason is, is that this is just a good investment for insurance companies. Making this additional investment for the patient to treat the partner is going to help the patient's health overall, and we're talking about very minimal cost in most cases. Still, even in states like California, which expressly authorize EPT, you do see resistance among the California's version of Medicaid that would resist payment for that second dosage. I'd like to thank my guests, Dr. Matthew Golden and James Hodge. Thank you. Thanks. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin. You've been listening to a special segment, Focus on Healthcare Policy, on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at reachmd.com, featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please call us toll-free at 888-MD-XM-157. And thank you for listening.